Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, how are you? Thanks for being here. For those of you that are visiting, I'm, my name is John and it's so good to meet you and I'm glad you're here. For those of you that come every week, thank you. What a blessing to be a part of this church with you. I love you more than I can tell you and it's just the, it's just the most fun. Um, we're in Acts chapter 1 and um, my, my, my project was to kind of move along. I, I told Kay, I said, you know, you got to pray for me. I said, you know, I don't want to be in, in a book so long that it becomes tedious, you know, or anything like that. And she said, oh, what are you going to do after you study in this book? You're going to just study the Word of God, just relax. And, you know, and I said, well, okay, but I want to move through it. And I started studying, and I got lost on one verse. I mean, verse 3 is the most amazing verse. I mean, it's just an amazing verse. But I got up to verse 8. Give me a hand. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I felt good about that. You know, uh, although I, I uh, left out verses 6 and 7 because that needs a little... <laughs> I didn't know you were going to laugh. Uh, I think that takes a little bit of explanation. So we'll, do, we'll hit that maybe a little bit next week. Uh, studying this particular place in Scripture. Remember last week, we talked about how the Lord gave orders to the apostles. And He gave them orders to pass along to the congregation. What they had started, what we're going to see that they've begun was the church. And, and it's an amazing adventure that they started. And I believe that, God, that, the, that our Lord equipped them amazingly to do what needed to be done. But, what, not but, but as they passed along to us or the next generation, each generation was to be careful what we were to pass along to the next generation. Because as you can see why they were so... Uh, so dogmatic about what they taught. And when someone else came in with a different gospel, they said, hey, let this person be a curse. Don't even, don't even fellowship with someone that would give you a, 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 any message that's contrary to what we've taught you. Because you see, as we're going to look today at verse 3, the Lord convinced them beyond any shadow of a doubt, teaching them for 14 days about the kingdom of God. He passed along what they were to pass along to the church. Well, as we learned last week in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, Timothy, I'm teaching you these things so that you go and teach it to some people that you trust. And they, in return, are to teach what they've learned to others. We're the others. And we have the same orders that our Lord gave the apostles, commanding them to teach the people. You and I have been given those same orders. We have to be careful what we study. We have to be careful what we teach because the next generation is going to be, they're going to be affected by the way we lead them, by the way we take them. That's why, to me, the church is special for all of you. But, man, do I love the kids. Like, I love that any of the young people are here. It is my joy. I mean, you guys, the Hill family, I can't tell you how much I love you guys. I can't. And I'm watching you. and You guys are growing, man. You're growing. You're growing in the Lord. And it's, it, is, it is the joy of my life to see that take place. Who knows that you might, one of you might be the pastor of this church when I, when I pass away. Who knows? God only knows. And, and it could be any one of us. It could be. But that's why I so love the youth in our church. Because they are what we are to delicately pass along to the message. 
Which gets us to what I kind of am pretty dogmatic about. And that is this. That's why we must study the word as we do line upon line. Word after word. We must pass along the truths of the word of God so that the next generation knows what we've been, been relaying to them because we have received the message from those before us. And so that goes on and on and on. Well, what, what took place was that Jesus Christ had just gone to the cross he had now risen from the dead, and he is coming back, as we're going to learn in verse 3, which is such a dynamic verse here in chapter 1 of Acts, that he is convincing them that he is alive. And he gives them proofs. You know why? They had to go out eventually. He's going to send them out into the world, going to send them out into the same people who crucified him with the same message he gave them. And that's going to take a lot of courage. Because as we study through this, the book of Acts, we're going to see they were martyred. Some of them went out on their own. You know, it's one thing to be in a group and be kind of brave. It's another thing to be all alone. And to still know what you stand for and to stand for it with conviction. And so what Jesus Christ does, watch. It is, this is some place in the Word of God. Look, read with me from verse 1 to verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. We saw the first two verses last week. I want to read them again to put this in order. Luke says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus Christ began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, note, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convicting proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. He gathered them together and commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together and they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, he says in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, what our Lord did was the most kind thing that anyone could do. He came back to them alive, convincing them that he is alive because he is going to ask them to go out and even some be martyred. And let's face it, folks, that took a lot of courage. And you and I don't want to go out and have a chance of being chastised or martyred for that fact teaching something that we're not sure is true. So he wanted to make sure they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. Before I pray, that's my motive. In this section of Scripture, my motive, so I don't have any hidden agendas with any of us, is to convince you and me beyond a shadow of a doubt that our Lord is alive. And that what he's called us to do, he will empower us to do it. And he will give us what is needed to be done to do it correctly. And he'll want us to do it with all of our hearts. He will convict us, convince us of that fact. 
That convincing came from the apostles as they passed it along from generation to generation to generation. And now it's upon our shoulders to know and to believe what we believe. You and I will never know what we believe until we understand what's in here. It is this that the Bible says will not come back, vo- will not come back void. The Word of God until it accomplishes what it was set out to do. This is what changes lives. And I'm going to try, by the grace of God, to convince you and me of that in this half hour. So let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord might have His way with us this morning. Father, please do that. Kind of guide us and and lead us along the path that You want us to go. I pray that You would teach us, Father, from the very Word of God that we just read. It's it's an amazing place in Scripture because what we're seeing, Father, is is Your... uh, You're moving a group of people to start and establish what we are trying to do right now. And that is to have church and to do it correctly and to pass along what you've given as your orders ought to be done. So we'd love to do that. Father, it's my desire, as I pray every week, Father, uh, that you would take me and move me aside. We might be able to see just your words And have a sense that you're speaking to us rather than somebody who is um, just another human being that's trying to convince people of this, that, or the other. But we we might sense that you have spoken to us this day. That cannot happen through me, Father. That must be used by you. So I do pray with all my heart that you'd move me aside. Let us sense and hear from your heart to our heart. It is my deepest conviction, Father, that if we sense that, we feel that at all, we'd be inclined to want to be obedient. We'd be inclined to want to follow. We'd be inclined to have this proof that we know what we know so we can do what you've called us to do. So use this time, please, Father. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Here's the logic. Look at verse 3 just one more time. It is really a powerful verse. He said to those, to these he also presented himself alive after he suffered by many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Listen to the logic of this. The apostles needed not only the proper message, he gave them that for 40 days. All the time he was on the earth also. But for these 40 days, he poured into them the logic of the kingdom of God. He needed them to not only have the proper message so as to lead people to the proper faith, but they needed the confidence to proclaim the message because of the dangers that was going to befall upon them. They just saw him crucified. They just saw him nailed to a cross. He's going to ask them to go to the same people that crucified him and tell them the same things he said. So what they needed to know was that he was alive. How could they become, think it through, try not to, to, to super spiritualize these men and women who, who were there in the first century. They were just like us. How could they become enthusiastic about proclaiming the kingdom that is to come when they're going to face martyrdom? How are they going to do that if they believe that their Savior was not real, that he was dead. He needed to convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was alive. 
All of us who know and love Jesus Christ need to know that he's alive. Every one of us need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will fulfill the promises that he has given to us so that we can boldly go and do what he's called us to do. How in the world can you sit at the foot of a a loved one's deathbed, for instance, with a fear that this is it and have the confidence to encourage a family, for instance? How could you have that feeling unless you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is not our home? This isn't where it ends for us. We have a place where we will go and live with the Lord and live with one another forever and ever. We're going to have fellowship with each other throughout eternity. We are going to have some great time. And we're going to be together. That is a hope that we have. And that that doesn't come just saying, I hope so, I hope so, I hope so. That comes when we become convinced that our Savior is alive. So he gives them who they in turn, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, as I told you last week, and I told you I'd keep on saying this, Paul taught Timothy and said, did I already say this to you? I did, didn't I, already this morning? See? Just can't get off my notes and can't... And i got to be careful because I thought I said, oh, I thought I said that the last service. But let me say it again. He taught Timothy so Timothy would teach others so we would have the same message so that you and I could be convinced about what we believe and so he presented himself alive. And, and listen, that's, that's, that's a bonus. Let's say, for instance, oh my goodness, what if the Lord was to walk out behind those curtains and say, come on, get out of here, Baldy, and go sit down where you belong, you know. And then he started to teach us. I think you and I would be a little more attentive and, and the things would become more, more clear and dynamic to us. So he gave them a very special blessing. But as we're going to see in a moment, that blessing falls along to us too. There's two places I'd love for you to see. Uh, John 20, 30 and John 21, 25. You can turn there if you wish. Uh, you're going to know the verses when I start it. In John 20, verse 30, it says, Many other signs Jesus Christ performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. He gave them many convincing proofs. In John chapter 21, the last verse of that great book of John, verse 25, John writes, There are also many other things which Jesus Christ did, which, he says, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. In other words, he did so much to convince those men and women that he was who he said he was so that they could pass it along to us so that you and I would know and believe. There are many convincing proofs. And so the end result of those 40 days was that the apostles became so convinced of the reality of his physical resurrection and that the assurance that they knew that he was who he says he was gave them a boldness to preach the gospel to the very people that crucified our Lord. If you want some proof, if you and I need convincing proof, all we need to do is take a look at the lives of the apostles and the disciples who were martyred for what they believed. We look at them before Jesus Christ came and told them, wait, you're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see today. Before that time, when he went to the cross, where did they all go? They scattered. They were afraid. And not only were they afraid, they were skeptical about it all. 
Remember Thomas, what Thomas said? They said, Thomas, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He came here. What did Thomas tell him? He says, unless I see the doggone knee. I don't know. He said, doggone. <laughs> I said, doggone. He didn't. And he says, unless I see his nail prints and, and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. But the Lord came and showed him that he was alive. It transformed those guys from fearful, cowering skeptics into bold, powerful witnesses for the cause of Christ. If you want proof of the gospel, just look at their lives. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Nobody would do that unless they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is truly who He says He is. Have you ever thought it through in the quietness of your own time of with the Lord, what would you do if, if everyone else abandoned him, say, for instance? What would you do if, if you were in a situation where if someone came in here today and said, Hey, hey, John, you keep preaching this message. We're throwing you in jail. Have you, you haven't thought for me, maybe, but what would you do if someone said that to you? I've thought that through. I'm going to say whether it's right in the eyes of, of what the government says or not. I've got to do what God's told me to do. Put me in jail. Don't want to go. Scared to death to go. But I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel because the government tells me to. And somewhere in here, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. I'm convinced that this isn't my home. I'm just passing through. And one day I'm going to spend eternity with you guys. Can't wait. Can't wait. Excited about it. Want to stay here as long as the Lord will give me time. But can't wait to spend eternity with you. That transformation of those men and women ought to be enough convincing proof for you and me that Jesus Christ is exactly who He said He is. The Lord wanted them to know that the crucifixion that He went through did not nullify the promise, as it says in verse 3, of His kingdom. That was coming. No doubt the apostles had difficulty believing that. Look, don't super-spiritualize it. These guys had doubts just like you and I have doubts. And the Lord's appearance changed their lives, changed their hearts with a boldness beyond description so that they proclaimed Jesus Christ to the very people that crucified Him, saying that there is a spiritual kingdom that is coming and the Lord's coming back again the second time. Now, they had that special blessing. In this age that you and I live, God directs His kingdom through us, believers, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, but we've never seen Him. But Peter calls us, in 1 Peter 2.9, he calls us a chosen race. He calls us a group of people who are royal priesthood. He calls us a holy nation, talking about the church. Our faith comes because we've been entrusted with the truth that has been passed on to us by the group before us. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Remember when Thomas said, I'm not believing unless I see? And when he saw, he said, Thomas, the Bible says, said, my Lord and my God. And he believed, it said. And Jesus looked him in the eyes and says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. 
He says in John chapter 20, verse 29, he says, Blessed, blessed are those who, what? Never seen me, and yet still, what? Believe. Believe. That's you and me. He could have said, Thomas, blessed are you because you saw me great. But how about the Rock Community Church, Thomas? They never seen me, and yet they believe. He says, I say to you, Thomas, I'm going to place a blessing on them. Blessed are those people of the Rock Community Church who have never seen me, and yet still they believe. Peter also wrote of that. You and I have a very special, I think, anointing upon us, and that is to believe sometimes without seeing. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. If you want to find that real quickly, please turn to it. That's kind of a powerful place, so I'll wait till you find it. So maybe you want to underline in your Bible. By the way, the guys that do this, are I mean, they're just the best. They are the best. And if you want to, you can just take notes. And, and if maybe I, I go through the verse without having you get there in time. Like I remember when Dr. Jack MacArthur, when I used to be at church in, in Eugene, <laughs> Dr. Jack was like a machine gun, man. He would, he would verify each thing he said with a verse somewhere. And he didn't care. He'd go Old Testament, deep in the Old Testament, man. And those books, I, I still have problems finding. And he would turn to this book and, and, and he'd read the thing. And by the time I'm, I'm just, you know, new, I just got a Bible and I don't even know where everything is. You know, I wish, I can't understand why the Lord didn't alphabetize it. But anyways, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for laughing. So anyways, by the time I found it, he's already gone. And so what I used to do is pretend. I, I pretend, oh, yes. But I wouldn't let anyone see. I'd pretend I knew where it was. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, is powerful. Look, Peter says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, with joy full of glory. That's us. You see, we do all that we do for the Lord not because we see Him, but because we believe. Like the apostles, like the, the, the men and the women of the first century church, we believe in His resurrection. I, you know, when we have church on Easter, and you know, sometimes people don't come to church all the time, and, and especially some people come maybe, maybe Easter and Christmas, you know, which is fine. Honestly, I don't begrudge any of this. Um, and I'll share with you why. I say almost every Easter I, I can remember is that to us that come to this church all the time, every day is Easter to us. Every day we worship a risen Lord. We don't need Easter Sunday to remind us that He is alive and He is risen. Yes, He is risen indeed. We believe that. Now, the reason I don't begrudge people that come once in a while is because we want to impact them, impact them with the Word. That's why we won't on Easter Sunday, get a message that's watered down. We want to give them the Word so the Word of God will move in their hearts. So that the Word of God will not come back a void, but will accomplish what it was set out to do in their lives. And I've seen, I have witnesses of some of you that say to me, look, I used to not want to come to church, but all of a sudden I found myself seeing where you're going and looking what's ahead and saying, what in the world is he going to say about that next week? And so they would come. And then they would find themselves 
underline. Some girl told me this the other day. I, she's not here now, I know. But she told me her dad now comes to church with her. And he sits in the Bible and she said, you won't believe what my dad did this week. I said, what? He underlined a place in Scripture where you... She's never done that, she said. And I'm convinced that that's what the Word of God does. And it gets people all of a sudden to want to, to learn more. And then all of a sudden, they want to know that Savior for themselves. And they accept Him as Lord. And then all of a sudden, they want to get involved. And all of a sudden, they're doing things for the Lord that they never dreamt they would do in, in getting the blessings. Saturday night, I, I pointed out somebody, and I shouldn't have, because I didn't ask him permission. And so I'm not going to tell you his name today. But I want you to know something. There is a gentleman in our church that I don't think we're going to open up the, the doors of that new church without him. He has, he has served the Lord. He came here, and he asked if he could meet with me for lunch. And so I went with Wes, and we, we had lunch with him. And he didn't want to get involved in a church anymore. And so all of a sudden, he started coming more regular just to see if we're real. And then all of a sudden, he gets a little involved, and then he gets a little more involved. And before you know it, he comes to Wes, and he says, I, I want to get involved. And Wes says, well, we, you can work a half a day if you want. He said, when he first came, he, he didn't realize a half a day for Wes is 12 hours. <laughs> That's half a day. <laughs> And I tell you, folks, when we do open up the church, I, I will introduce you to this guy. We'll, we'll ask him to come forward. And I want you to know, I say to you now, we probably wouldn't be able to open the doors without him. And he just started off as someone that casually came to church. And then God touched his heart. And that's what, that's what God does. All that we do, all that we believe like the apostles in the resurrection or his coming again or the promises to restore his kingdom, we believe because of the convincing proofs that we have within our midst that has been passed on to us originally by the apostles. Those things that our Lord said to them for those 40 days, they passed along to another generation who gave it in turn to us that's why we must be careful what we pass along to the next generation. That's why the Lord says in verse 2, He says, I give you orders. This is what you're to do. Now let me just say this. Because of who we are as a church, if you are here, or if somehow you're listening to this message on a CD, if you do not yet believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to listen the problem is not that you don't have enough facts. The problem's with your heart. You're never going to have any more facts. What you need to do is give the Lord your heart. Once you do that, then He will start to minister to you like you, you won't even imagine. And let me say something, another thing. I don't begrudge you for running. That's a, I think it's a natural tendency of mankind to run away from God. I'll give you my, my richest example. In the, in, the, in the start of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the second and third chapter, our Lord told Adam and Eve, look, don't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Remember? It says, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Right? Well, in the third chapter, the, the serpent came to Eve 
and tempted her to have this, this fruit, and she ate of it. And, and, and she gave some to Adam, and he ate of it. And what happened? When, when our Lord came, it says, in the cool of the day, walking in the garden, what did they do? They hid from God. It's a tendency. It's a tendency of mankind to hide from God. And the Lord, knowing where they were, because he's God, says, where are you? He knew where they were. And they said, well, we were hiding because uh, we were naked. Kind of got ashamed, you know. He said, who, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat from? You see, the Lord God comes to show himself. And don't feel badly if you're here or you're listening to this and, and, and you just kind of are running from God. It's a natural tendency. Yet our Lord wants to show you convincing proofs. You can know. You can believe if you really want to. The problem's not with the facts that you have. The problem's with your heart. Give it to the Lord. Now watch. Look at verses 4 and 5. He gathered them together. This is very important. Watch. And he commanded them. Now look, it's like he did in verse 2. Verse 2, he gave them orders. He gave them orders of what to preach. Here he's commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Verse 4. He wants them to wait for what the Father had promised them, which he said, you've heard from me as well. I add the words as well. He says, John baptized you with water. By the way, Jesus Christ also was baptized by John with water. But he says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The baptism that he is talking about, obviously, is not water baptism. Water baptism is a ritual. Water baptism is is something that you do that has no impact upon your salvation. Water baptism is simply something that you do outwardly to express what has just taken place within your heart. When I was in Hawaii and I came to know the Lord, I got baptized in the Pacific Ocean of Waikiki. And I got baptized there, and my purpose of being baptized was plain and simple this. I invited the whole team to come to the beach on Sunday morning for this church service. (laughs) Most of those guys did not go to church. And they were astonished that I would go anywhere near a church. So they had church services on the beach. And I invited them because that day I was going to be baptized. Kay and I both got baptized on the same day that day. She was not my wife then. We were just dating. And it was after I accepted... That's a long story. But it was after I accepted the Lord that I really started to fall in love with her. So we got baptized on the same day. And I'm telling you, it was intimidating. Because there were some of the guys that showed up from the team. And there I go out into the water. And walk out in the water about waist deep in the water in Waikiki. You know you have to walk quite a ways out to get waist deep in the water in Waikiki. And I got baptized. And I did that so that my friends, my teammates could see something changed inside of me. That was an outward expression. That's a ritual. The baptism that Jesus Christ is talking about with the Holy Spirit, that's the true baptism that comes upon every single one of us who have ever trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it places us into what is called the body of Christ, the church. And it empowers us to do things that normally we could not do. Therefore, therefore, with that in mind, to prevent the apostles from going out and ministering in their own power, 
Jesus Christ commanded them, verse 4, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Verse 5, they were going to be baptized. That's a very key word. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And verse 8, then they will receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. What does this strongly illustrate? I'll tell you what it strongly illustrates. It illustrates the importance of all the preparation, all the training, all the knowledge and experience can be useless without the proper God-given strength and without the proper God-given wisdom. Jesus reminded those that were walking with him, look, when you go to trial, don't worry what you're going to say. In, in, um, in, Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus says, For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. He wanted those gentlemen and ladies to wait until the power came upon them before they tried to, to do any ministry. What it tells us is this, folks. Nothing that you and I do in our own power, is of any value. Anything and everything that we do empowered by the Holy Spirit is monumental, will make an impact in this world in which we live to some degree or another. You see, we're caught up in this United States of America as as pecking orders, right? Someone's more important than the other. Not so with God. When God gifts, He gifts, but no one gift is more important than the other. You've heard me say, I don't know how many times, the person that does this, in this case me, is not more important than the person that's parking the cars or the person that's greeting the people at the door or the person that's putting the, 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 the scripture verses on the screen or the, the musicians that sing or play or any of you that do anything in this church. We're all in this together. We're all in this one boat and we're all pulling on an oar and all of us are trying to move wherever the Lord wants us to go, but none of us are more important than the other. I know there's some pastors that like to have these churches that think to convince their people that they're more people, they're more important. They're not. They're not. The, the, the only reason they can do what they do is because God has gifted them to do it. And they can't do it in their own power. Listen, you need to know, I might as well tell you, I'm not the sharpest blade that's in the drawer here at this church. And also, my own family won't listen to me. That you listen to me is an amazing thing. <laughs> It is. It's it's utterly amazing. It is a verification that the Lord God will use any and all of us if we'll just do what we do under His power. And there's never a Sunday, never a Saturday, there's never a time where I get in front of any of you without asking the Lord to empower me and also asking Him, if there's any sin in my life, would you please convict me of it? Because I do not want to go up there and make a fool of myself in front of these people, nor, more importantly, a fool for you, and so if he convicts me of my sin, I get rid of it. I confess my sin. I, am, I will do that because I am fearful beyond your wildest dream to stand in front of you and say, Thus saith the Lord when I think it's my own self saying it. I don't want that to happen. I am fearful of that. And so no matter what you do, if it's parking cars, if it's, if it's whatever, if you would to do it under the power of the Lord God, I'm telling you, there will be lives changed because of what you do for the cause of Christ. We're all in this together. And so God said in Ezekiel, and it took me a while to get there, 
and, and take a look at later. Let me just read it to you now. If you can find Ezekiel real fast, but let me do what Dr. Jack did to me. He says, listen, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be cleaned. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, he says in verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will, he says in verse 27, put my spirit within you. That's what's happening to us that believe. Baptism by Christ through the Holy Spirit takes place in every believer who has ever converted. Any of us that have ever trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, at that very moment, we are placed into the body of Christ and we are given a spiritual gift and we are empowered by God to use that gift for His glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit... You and I, we all have been baptized into one body, whether we be a Jew or whether we be a Greek, whether we be a slave or whether we be free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. At that point, the Spirit of God takes His permanent residency in the converted person's life and soul. And there is no such thing as a Christian who does not yet have the Holy Spirit living within them. Paul says, do you not know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our bodies are a temple of the Spirit of God. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a special privilege for some believers and not others. It is not even your responsibility to to prepare for it. Let me share with you why. Remember I told you a little while ago in verse 5, it says, Be baptized. That's in the passive voice. That verse, that verb in the passive voice, be baptized, indicates that the baptism by Jesus Christ with the Spirit is entirely divinely active. In other words, it is not done by human measure. You and I can't make Him come into our hearts. That is given to us by Jesus Christ. Baptism by the Holy Spirit comes like salvation. It's like grace, not human effort. We can't prepare for it. We can't pray for it. We can't plead for it. The Lord gives it to us by His grace. In Titus 3, 5, and 6, he says he saves us not on a basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom, Titus tells us in verse 6, whom he has poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. If you've come to Christ, Godly has sovereignly poured his Holy Spirit into your life. Period. You have as much as Him as you're ever going to have. You don't need to get more. You don't need to ask Him to give you more of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit doesn't come in and say, there it is, now I got my leg, now you're going to get my arm. And No, He comes into your heart. And He wants to use you for the grace and the glory of God. And He wants to empower you. Watch what it says. You and I have this power. Look at verse 8. The power... In the Greek is D-U-N-A-M-I-S. We get the word dynamite from it. All believers have this spiritual dynamite flowing in their veins. 
and he will use you. I am the poster child, if there is a poster child, for someone who will be used by God. Oh, maybe the donkey's saying, no, I'm a little bit more than you, but not by much. (laughs) You and I can experience being empowered by God in in different ways. I'll tell you what, better I can say it negatively. There are certain ways that you and I cannot be empowered by God. That's why I'm fearful to go into this pulpit, not cleansed, not asking the Lord to forgive me of any sin that he convicts me of, and, and walking in here not in my power but his. It says in the book of Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, in the 30th verse, it says, don't grieve the Spirit of God. We grieve the Spirit of God by sin. It says, do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It tells us in Ephesians, the same book, the fifth chapter in the 18th verse, it says, don't get drunk with wine. He says, that's dissipation. Rather, he says, be filled, be filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled takes place when you and I yield moment by moment the control of our lives over to God. I think it's the same as what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you so that you know what you're to live like, so you're to know how you're to live, so you can have confidence in who you are in Christ, so the Spirit of God can flow through you and use you. I'm telling you, there's no way that you'll know all that God wants you to be until you allow the Word of God to richly dwell within you so that you understand what He asks of you. And lastly, let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm smiling because I'm really early. That's good. That's good. The result of being filled with the Spirit of God is expressed, I think, beautifully by Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 16, Paul says this. Are you there? Look, Paul says this. God, that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be, watch, strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. You see, it's not by what we look like that God's going to use us. This physical shell ain't that important. What He wants to do is strengthen our innermost being. He wants to move within us and move through us in that fashion. He says in verse 20, Paul does, of that same chapter of Ephesians 3, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you might ask or think, according to what? The power that works within us. That power that works within you is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wants to take residence within you, wants you to know Him. He wants to use you for the cause of Christ. He wants to empower you to do great and wonderful things. You first, I think, need to be convinced that Jesus is alive. You need to know in your heart of hearts That He is who He says He is and you are convicted and you are convinced that He is just that. So then when you go through difficulties or you go through trials or you go through sorrow, hmm. no, no, no. It's not that. It's not difficulties. It's not trials. It's not sorrow. It's the Lord using your circumstance to strengthen you and to strengthen others. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your cares upon Him 
Because he cares for you. He doesn't want to leave you. He doesn't want to abandon you. He wants to take you through whatever it is you're going through with power. Power. So as to impact this world in which we live for the cause of Christ. I don't have a clue what God's going to do through this church. I just know one thing. It's going to be awesome. Now, awesome, I don't even know what that means, except that I believe it's going to be great. By that I mean simply that God's going to do something that's going to be wonderful for His benefit, not ours. I believe that with all my heart. And I am convinced that He has great things in store for us. This is the third service we've had. Each service is approximately this full. Saturday is a little less. I love, I can't tell you how much I love you people. But I said the same thing to the last service. And I said the same thing yesterday, last night. This is a unique church. I'm telling you, I love you more than I can ever put into words. It's a very special place. I'm looking forward to the day that we can all gather together in, in one single room and and you'll look around and say, you go to this church? I didn't know that. You know, you're going to find people that come on Saturday. You didn't even know came, came to church. And you're going to see the impact that we're going to have on this community. It's going to be awesome. I believe that with all my heart. I love you so much. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to care for one another and, and learn from your word. Thank you that you convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, the apostles and the disciples of that first century church, that they, uh, they so believed that they, uh, they were willing to give their lives for your cause. And Father, uh, in this day and age, we've not come to that yet, and at least not here where we live in the United States, but it might happen. Father, I pray that each of us will be so convinced that we won't shirk away from the responsibility that you've given to us. It can make an impact in this world in which we live. That will come, Father, when we're empowered. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And Father, if some people don't feel that power, I pray that you would convict them if there's sin in their lives, that they would just deal with the sin. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within them. And watch, Father, as you do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we could ever dream of or imagine. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the the staff. Thank you for everybody that that attends. It's It's a blessing. A blessing beyond my wildest dream. I'm very thankful, Father, for these dear people and the people in the May the 30 service and the people last night at 6. Bless us all. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, do I love you. It's amazing. Thank you for today. Have a great day. Thank you.